This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Coming up, Subversity with Dan Sung. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regions of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. And today we're going to be uh, talking about uh, surveillance, uh, government surveillance of um, Muslims in Orange County. Um, the, in recent uh, news items have uh, come out about the FBI's infiltration of mosques in Irvine. Uh, last few years also, there have been reports of uh, FBI paying attention to UCI students um, because they thought they might be terrorists. And so, um, although the D- FBI denies that they actually spy on students, but let's see what the truth is. Uh, today, we're going to be talking with a lawyer with a civil rights group locally who uh, has been monitoring the situation. Uh, so stay tuned. Uh, you tuned to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Uh, today we're going to be uh, discussing uh, government surveillance, um, surveillance of Muslims in Orange County. And um, while we wait for the, uh, um, uh, um our guest to be uh, to call in. We'll um, let's take over. Let's look over some of the recent news articles about this. Um, the news, of course, uh, started with an informant testifying in a trial locally. Um, he was actually, according to this guy, um, informant, and he had been uh, sent to infiltrate mosques in Orange County and to spy on Muslims, and in this mosque, in Irvine uh, especially. And so this news finally made it national, made national news, um, got on CNN um, yesterday, and uh, on, on the 20th, on Friday, and, um, and that's what, here's what CNN had to say. The headline was, FBI planting spies in U.S. mosques, Muslim groups say, uh, 10 U.S. Muslim organizations threatened this week to cease working with the FBI, citing McCarthy-era tactics by the agency. Uh, So we'll be talking to a lawyer. On the show is Amina Mirza, the uh, staff attorney for CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, uh, the Greater Los Angeles Area Chapter. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Sam. Glad to be here. Oh, great. Uh, so what is the situation? Uh, how did you get involved in this, and how did you become a lawyer first? <laughs> <laughs> oh, taking me back years. Um, you know, I was interested in law for a really long time and working for, you know, the betterment of society and for people in general. And so that's really what drove me into law school. I graduated a few years ago and um, was always interested in public interest law and civil rights law, and um, that's what basically landed landed me the job here last summer at the Los Angeles office of the Council on American Islamic Relations. And essentially our organization is a civil rights um, advocacy group uh, that works on behalf of Muslim Americans and, you know, society at large. Um, and so in recent weeks, um, we have had a growing issue and concern regarding FBI practices within the Muslim community. And the revelations were based in part on an informant at a trial, right? 
Right. Well, basically what happens was at the bail hearing of a man named Ahmed Niazi on February 24th, um, an FBI agent, um, Thomas Ropel, who was testifying at the hearing, um, said that they had indeed sent a confidential informant into the Islamic Center of Irvine, which is um, one of the largest mosques in the Southern California area, and other mosques in the area as well, um, to gather information on the Muslim community, um, and specifically, I guess, targeting, um, you know, vulnerable people within the community. Now, this informant, you know, didn't just, you know, record and stuff. He actually posed as a new convert to Islam. He went into the masjid, befriended um, people within the mosque community, and then um, he started actually um, advocating to terrorist sympathies um, and extremist sympathies within that community. Um, started, he began talking about, you know, bomb makings, that he had access to weapons. And this, of course, um, scared the community because they didn't know who this guy was. Um, and generally, you know, our, our community really rejects that, and, and it scared a little everyone and, and everyone who was in contact with him. So basically they reported this person to our office, and we told them, you know, to contact um, the FBI and law enforcement right away, which they did. And they actually won a restraining order against him. And um, interesting thing is that it came out later that FBI is the one who sent him into the community in the first place. And this guy was uh, has come out, so to speak, uh, gone public. Uh, he His pictures in the papers, uh, OC Weekly uh, interviewed him. Craig right. Monteith. So right. is he really legitimate as a, I mean, is he really the, the informant? Right. That, that is the same person, um, Craig Montiel. He was, he, uh, he was the one who infiltrated the Irvine and other mosques in the area. And um, we, we like to use the, the term for him, agent prov- provocateur, which is basically a little bit different than an informant. An informant is somebody who goes in, or, you know, targets a specific suspect or person and basically um, hands over information about that person. But this Cognantil went in and, um, you know, provoked people and um, advocated terrorist sympathies within the community. And this is, you know, a really, especially in Orange County, you know, this peace-loving um, communities, communities that are very involved, socially involved, and um, civically involved, and to have somebody come into a place of worship of all places and, and do this is, is, is really a, an egregious offense against, you know, both religious sensitivities but also against our constitutional freedoms to um, freely practice religion and freely assemble. So you think he, uh, he actually entrapped people? Um, I can't, I can't sp- speak specifically to that. Um, you know, there's not a lot of information that's been been available in this specific case, but it wouldn't surprise me based on what people have reported to us the way the way that he spoke to people. Um, you know, an entrapment is it's a you know in legal terms it's it's a very specific thing when when somebody induces somebody to join in another crime. Um, also, it's uh, I think legally it's to put the idea of a of a crime when none existed before. <laughs> right, right, exactly. It's it's when the, a government agent induces somebody to do a crime, and that person who is induced 
otherwise had no other predisposition to engage in that criminal conduct. So it's a very technical definition. Yeah, it's very technical. So, you know, and I wouldn't want to use it lightly in in this specific case, but, you know, it, but in in general, yes, I mean, he, he was he was sent to it to um, provoke people to provoke people exactly and to join whatever terrorist cause or extremist cause that he was purporting um, which is you know upsetting and which is very disturbing to know that FBI for whatever reason thought that our Muslim community um, needed this to be done to them that we're somehow naturally suspect just by the fact that we are Muslims. Um, and that's, that's really the disturbing part about all of this. Do you know of other cases where that people have been turned in um, by this guy? Um, no. By him specifically, yeah. no, I uh -huh. don't. He has stated to the media that there are several other sealed indictments in this case, but, you know, I don't know how much he knows. I don't. Yeah. He, to me, he's not a very trustworthy person in the first place. He has a, a criminal a record of his own, including um, criminal charges and convictions of grand theft and forgery. So, you know, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the U.S. Attorney's Office is planning on this case, uh, the scope of it. But so far, um, he, it's, it is one person in this specific case. And in addition, apparently he's also, this informant Montiel was also a um, a uh, informant for some white supremacist groups before hmm. he was sent into the Muslim community oh. as well. So that also kind of kind of shows you how some people in the FBI view the Muslim community as as um, suspect as as known criminal organizations like white supremacist groups that need to be infiltrated. So I was uh, on a bus once, a uh, shuttle bus back from LAX. And there was a, I think it was an Anaheim cop uh, on the bus, and he said he actually goes to funerals of Arab Americans and takes pictures of everybody there. Mm. And then they take pictures of storefronts in the Arab community in Anaheim um, just to um, have uh, the data, I guess, <laughs> in case right. so they come across somebody they need to match a picture, uh, face against a picture. Right. It, it's things like that that, you know, really disturb and concern our community. And frankly, it, it's frightening people to know that, you know, anything they do can be treated as a suspect. Um, you know, if they're taking pictures <laughs> of a bridge or a building, if they're sightseeing, all of a sudden that becomes um, suspect behavior. There was that recent case of um, that family that was flown, thrown off of the airplane because they were discussing the safest place to sit in the in the airplane, um, somebody <laughs> overheard that and uh -huh. saw that they were, you know, yeah, yeah. most of them wearing headscarves and stuff, and they got thrown off the airplane because all of a sudden this normal conversation got turned into a suspicious conversation. Um, and, you know, that's what our, our community is really afraid of right now, and, it's, and that's what we're really, um, you know, asking the Department of Justice and other um, people and the Attorney General to, to look into, is, is this concerted treatment of the Muslim community as naturally suspect of, you know, um, like you said, monitoring, surveilling the community or people within the community without having probable cause to do so, or even, you know, a reasonable suspicion to do so. Um, you know, that that's what's really problematic. Uh, it, part of, it, yeah, part of the problem seems to be after 9-11 that 
they have uh, localized a lot of the surveillance. In the past, it was FBI nationally, and they would have agents uh, all over doing it. But now the local police have been lia- have been tasked to be part of these terrorism task forces. Right, exactly. And so to collect data f- in connection with the FBI and turn it over. And so that seems a, like an expansion of this whole surveillance power. Right. And, you know, of course, we, you know, infor- information sharing is, is always, you know, better, you know, because we want our law enforcement agencies to not work against each other, but to work in cooperation with each other. So we get our, the best protection possible. But there, there needs to be better guidelines. There needs to be better oversight. There needs to be better training in, in the ter- um, local joint terrorism task force. Um, and that's where actually much of the problem stems from, especially in Orange County. We've been getting a lot of cases um, and calls from people who are visited by Joint Ter- Terrorism Task Force agents. Um, I couldn't put my finger on, on why this happens, but, you know, generally what we see is that these task force agents, and sometimes, and including FBI agents, you know, just fish around in, in the community just looking for something. So they're visiting people's homes late at night, um, they're, you know, coming to people's homes with their hand, with the hands on their guns. Wow. Um, mm. They're, you know, using all these coercive tactics and in, in intimidating people. Um, without, and these people have, not, have nothing to do with anything, you know. Um, their neighbors might have called in on them, or they might mm. know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who yeah. an agent once interviewed. Um, and it, it's these fishing expeditions that that is really causing a lot of, you know, fear and um, fear and trepidation within the community. And um, you know, that's what we're calling for. We're calling for better better oversight of, of the Joint ta- Terrorism Task Force and FBI agents as well. Um, there is a um, there is a uh, law that was passed in the wake of uh, the Vietnam War. Uh, you know, surveillance of uh, protest movements, mm-hmm. and it was the Privacy Act, and that actually has a provision uh, that um, says the government, the federal government, cannot collect or retain material relating to First Amendment activities of U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Right. And right. For First Amendment activities, so I, I actually have a case. I had a case. I sued the CIA for spying on me. Because I, I used to uh, work with uh, COVID Action Information Bulletin, uh, later became COVID Action Quality, which is uh, uh, a magazine that tracked the CIA um, COVID actions. And they started a file on me, and I wanted to get my file, and they wouldn't give it to me until I, you know, they said it was national security. So I got the ACLU and uh, Kate Martin, who now does a lot of Guantanamo cases, mm-hmm. uh, from the National Security uh, Archive and uh, Center for National Security Studies. And she, um, she sued, and uh, she helped me sue this. Uh, uh, she was my lawyer, one of my lawyers. And she met with the CIA counsel, and they, they agreed that they shouldn't have spied on me because of the Privacy Act, but they didn't want to make... Uh, the CIA counsel told her that they, were, they knew that I had a right to engage in First Amendment activities, uh, including religion, mm-hmm. although I'm not religious. But they said they were worried that I might be going to mosques. And this mm-hmm. was back in the... That was 10 years ago. Right. So even then, they were concerned about moss. Right. No, and, and you know, that's the problem. And with, with the Privacy Act and et cetera, 
you know, the problem of, of gathering information on protected First Amendment activities and, and keeping it and, and, you know, not destroying it after, after you know, the person is obviously um, deemed to not be um, engaged in any suspicious activity. But, but that's absolutely a, a problem. But, and I think the root of the problem is, like you said, that mosques and Muslims, et cetera, are, are thought to be criminal indicators, you know, like, yeah. like being a Muslim or going to a mosque is in and of itself um, suspicious activity. And, and that, therefore, it, it's investigation into these people or treating them as pre- persons of interest. I mean, that that somehow justifies it. Um, it. It seems a strategy could be to try to get the Privacy Act enforced. I mean, it's still on the books, although, right. of course, it's totally ignored now since 9-11. I mean, they're collecting right. things on everybody, it seems like. Exactly, a, yeah. and there's so many loopholes, and there's so many ways to get around that. Um, yeah, I think they know. were saying that other laws could uh, supersede this law, so that's why it doesn't, you know, there are other laws that allow them to do it, then they right. could, they could exactly. do it. Yeah, so that's and then the there's problem. So there's so many programs in place now, both at the local law enforcement level and um, at the federal level, so that, that really supersede that and, and, and go around it to provide that, you know, the information on yeah. people can be... Of, of course, it, it is a legal challenge. Um, I, I believe there was um, a Ninth Circuit case, and I don't remember the details, mm. um, but it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was very on point that, you know, that information kept on a person of protected First Amendment activities for over a period of time is unconstitutional. Well, the, but, you know, yeah, yeah. But those kind of su- successful cases are, are, are far, you know, few, few and far between. Yeah, right. In my case, I actually won, but they, right. didn't, uh, they didn't agree. They refused to agree to n- agree not to spy on everybody, but they agreed actually technically not to spy on me. <laughs> right, and, and that's, that's... So that's the problem, yeah. and it was set out of court. So. Right, and it, it's wonderful for, for you, absolutely, but <laughs> I think that, you know, if we were to bring a, such a class action or something for all... The several million Muslims in the country. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we were trying to do a class action, but the but you know it's just unlikely we would have won. And uh, it was also Orange County judge at at at, at the final point. We had mm-hmm. uh, L.A. judge that was in the Ellsberg case. He was more liberal, but then it got transferred to an Orange County judge, mm-hmm. and so um, it was just you know the legal technicalities of it made it unlikely right. we would have won. Uh, for a class action. Yeah. Right. But uh, the other thing that, that was interesting about the re- news reports, that it said that a lot of the uh, Muslim groups, the Islamic uh, civil rights groups, do not want to cooperate with the FBI in terms of their, um, you know, right now there's, uh, they serve on certain uh, committees, right, mm-hmm. to advise the, C- the FBI on um, practices. Right. And, uh, on human relations uh, stuff. Um, exactly. Yeah, wh- when did that? Um, when did that start? When did the FBI start getting uh, cooperation from uh, local groups? Well, you know, it started really um, in the aftermath of you know nine eleven. There was a lot of um, tension between um, FBI and the Muslim community. You know, we we felt that the FBI was unfairly targeting us. Um, and, you know, a lot of the same practices of showing up at people's houses at 4 a.m., um, you know, you know, and then going inside and doing these interviews. 
or, um, you know, threatening people and stuff. And so the we came up with a, a temporary or what we thought would be a, a way to address the lack of communication between law enforcement and, and the Muslim community. So we set up these groups. Um, that would meet periodically with FBI, and it was it went beyond the Muslim community. It went to, it included all affected communities. Um, you know, Sikh, the Sikh community, the Hindu community, the Arab American community, um, and including some other groups as well. So we would meet periodically um, to discuss issues of, you know, community concerns and stuff. And you know, these community these these meetings were useful to an extent, um, but mainly it was just to show that, you know, our our groups were working with each other and were working with law enforcement, and they were listening to our concerns. Um, what happened was some earlier this year, FBI um, cut off these outreach ties with our organization, Care. Oh, they um, cut off. Not yeah, they, you didn't they cut, cut off. off. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't us who who decided to cut off relations. Um, you know, and and they decided to cut off outreach ties with Care. Um, they didn't give us any, at least at the local level, any specific reasons. Um, they referred us to our own national office to get answers, but of course, our own national office doesn't really have their own it and weren't given answers as well. Um, we feel that it was a political move all along to try and marginalize our organization because we are the most effective um, civil rights and the largest civil rights advocacy group for American Muslims in the country, and we do our work well um, while working with FBI and law enforcement and all government agencies. Um, so in light of that and in light of the rise in, in FBI abuses last several months, um, and in light of, you know, some recent cases, including the informants in Irvine, um, a national um, umbrella organization called the American Muslim Task Force, which in includes and oversees several Muslim organizations in the country, um, issued a press release saying they are considering also cutting off ties with FBI. Um, so it was basically FBI that first cut off ties with CARE, and then, you know, then these other organizations say you can't pick and choose who you want to deal with in the Muslim community. You know, we're one community, mm, and yeah. we're not going to stand for you marginalizing um, any any one of our groups. Um, mm. And so that's why they are taking the current stand um, that they're taking. Oh, I see. Uh, do you, but do you think you were being used, or was care being used in the past by the FBI? Um, used in what sense? Um to try to find out what was going on in the community so they could spy more? I, I don't, I, you know, I, I, I'm not as pessimistic, I guess you could say. Like, <laughs> I think I'm more I, skeptical. I really, yeah. You know, I really hope and that they haven't. And we've had, you know, we've worked well with FBI directors in the past. Um, the current director, Sal Hernandez, before they cut off ties, you know, we, we met with him a few times and our meetings were good. Um, and before him, Steve Tidwell, we worked very well with him. He came to the Muslim community several times to speak to them. Um, I'm not naive that I don't, I, I understand that they might have used that opportunity to bring people in, but I don't think that they used our organization or any others to really, you know, spy more on the community. But, however, you know, even though we may not have been used, we may have been 
gone ar- we, they may have gone around us um, and kind of flouted the relationship that we had with them. For example, um, back in, I believe it was 2006, there was a, an FBI agent who said to a, a group of business people at a meeting of business people in Orange County that the FBI is aware of Muslim activities in um, Irvine and other at UCI. At, at, at UCI, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then and said that they're being watched and monitored. Um, and then, you know, of course, the Muslim this came out, and the Muslim community was very, very upset. Yeah, that was um, Pat Pat Rose, who was head of the Orange County exactly. uh, FBI Al-Qaeda squad. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and to have somebody of, of that stature who's in charge of investigating these things, saying that, you know, basically... All the Muslim students and you know, and Muslim community in Irvine is suspect. It was, it was really disturbing. And so, you know, Steve Tidwell, the then FBI assistant director in charge at the LA office, um, came down and we had a town hall meeting with him. You know, CARE and other organizations actually invited him to come right. and address community concerns. And and he said point blank, there is no monitoring of the community. You know, rest assured. It turns out that after a few months, after just a few months after that, that's when the informant Craig Montiel, an agent provocateur, was sent in to the Muslim communities, and that's just one instance that we know of. Um, that one informant, you know, we 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 don't know how widespread um, this problem is. What was the incident in 2007 when? An FBI agent uh, almost ran over UCI uh, student from the Muslim, Muslim Student Association on campus. Right. What happened in that instance is, you know, the Muslim students at that time were having a week of activities to protest Israeli aggression in Palestine, um, and one of one of their mechanisms to to protest this was to build up a mock wall you know, right. mocking the Israeli wall on, on campus every day. And because of university procedures, they had to take it down every day. Oh. <clears throat> and so they were basically doing this one day. They were taking down the wall, um, you know, putting the stuff in the truck. And then one of the students noticed that he had, when he was driving the truck, he had been followed by by a, by a Ford Taurus or something. Um, and so he turned around and, you know, approached the vehicle and tried to find out who it was. The person didn't respond. You know, it was blackened windows. He tried taking a, a picture of the license plates license plate with his um, camera phone. And um, at that point, you know, the person in the car started revving their engine and, you know, started pushing him forward and almost nearly ran him over. Hmm. Um, he, was you know, on, he was on the street then. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess. On I'm the not, road. Yeah. On, on the road, you yeah, know, road, that goes yeah. within the campus. Um and then they did get the license plate number. There were there were Irvine um, police and safety officers who saw this incident. Um, they ran the um, they ran the license plate numbers, and the police officers said that you know it wasn't a license. It wasn't a number that they could you know run through their normal means, meaning that it was law enforcement. And the next day, they told them that it was an FBI agent um, who had done this all along. The the FBI claimed that. The something was a cinder block was thrown at them. Yeah, I, you know, I I can't I don't know if that's true or not or who who did that or why they did that, but 
My my guess is that was in response to them being followed, or or maybe to him trying to run this person over. But I think the the point of this story is that you know what was the FBI agent doing there in the first place? Why was he watching these students who were engaging, like we've been saying, in protected First Amendment activity? Uh, you know, and I think that's the major point here is that you know the free, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom, right. free exercise of religion. I mean, this is something that. Every American, you know, values and holds very near and dear to our to their hearts, and and that includes American Muslims. And you know, just because we're Muslim doesn't mean we're any less entitled to enjoy these rights um, and to enjoy the privileges of the Constitution. Well, um, was there any resolution of that case at all? Uh, not, nothing happened. Since to that? my to my knowledge, no, there mm. wasn't any investigation or anything into this. And that's what I think people need to understand about this most recent Irvine case, is that this is not the first, you know, this is this is almost the last straw. Um, you know, the, this has been happening over the course of the last several years. Um, and yeah. it, it, it hasn't, it, it got better at a point, but it's it's starting to deteriorate again, and I I can't put my finger on it. And that's what we're that's why we're asking, you know, the Department of Justice to investigate FBI practices, especially in regards to the Muslim community. You know, the fact that this informant case came out, the fact that I personally at the office have been getting more and more calls about FBI related instances. Um, even before the Irvine case, people have been calling more and more. My colleagues at the American Civil Liberties Union have also stated that they've been getting more and more calls the last few months. Um, Is it uh, are most of the calls, uh, many of the calls from Orange County? A, a lot of them are, yes. And a lot of them also, again, involve um, Joint Terrorism Task Force officers, which, you know, is over, over, over um, looked by the FBI. Um, right. Yeah, it's so. they're deputized, I suppose, right, in some ways. Right. Yeah, yeah. The some local of them are, are deputized yeah. as, as agents and to serve on the task force. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I know the sheriff was uh, Corona was at one point was uh, barred from serving because of his problems. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was some news accounts about that. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> I, yeah, and and again, you know, I don't know if I've stated this, but of course we. We support, you know, law enforcement efforts, and we support, you know, efforts to protect our national security. Um, you know, many of us and most of us, you know, this is this is the only country we've ever known. This is the only home we've ever known. So why wouldn't we be just as interested as everyone else in protecting it and protecting ourselves? Right. Um, yeah. And you know, this country has. I mean, and our homeland does so much for us that I don't know if other groups, maybe other immigrant groups would understand, but in, this is a country in which we have the most um, freedom to practice our religion freely. And, you know, when we hold these freedoms very dear to us, because we don't know if we would be granted them in any other part of the world. And so this is, you know, this is our only home, and, and we love it. And so that's why we support our national security, of course, um, and efforts to protect it, but it has to be done in a way that doesn't infringe upon the liberties of any person or any groups, especially without targeting any one group. And that's what we feel is going on right now. And it, it, it's really shameful that the 
Muslim community is being collectively criminalized and collectively treated as suspect at this point. Do, what do you think, uh, have you had any response to this uh, collective effort to try to, um, you know, not cooperate with the FBI? Have, have the FBI actually responded? I, I believe um, they they have responded to the media. Um, they've, I think, issued a statement, a brief statement. I think the um, John Miller, I believe his name is, um, said something um, to the effect that, you know, the group's non- uh, or disengagement with the FBI would be damaging for everyone and that they may, FBI has specific, very specific issues with certain groups, i.e. care, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that, you know, we're trying to resolve. It was basically a, a way for them to to say that, you know, our, our non-working with them would, would somehow be more damaging than what they've already done to us, which isn't the case. I mean, you know, our, our line is that, you know, we can't be treated as partners in our fight against terrorism and protecting the safety of our country if we're treated as suspects. It's, it's, For sure, th- yeah. There's no, there's no way that we can be done. And any relationship with FBI or other law enforcement agencies that isn't a productive and isn't a real relationship, we're not interested in. You know, if, if, if it's a way for them to say, oh, look, we're meeting with the Muslim community, everything's fine, everything's dandy. But at the same time, I get calls every day from people complaining about FBI knocking on their door, intimidating them. I get other cases of people being approached to be informants and being threatened that if they don't become an informant, something will happen to them, Mm. and then something actually does happen to them. You know, and then we did a workshop the other day in um, Rancho Cucamonga, and, you know, I was approached by some young one young gentleman, he was Afghani, and he's like, you know, I really want to get more involved, and but I'm afraid to. And I was like, what do you mean by involved? He's like, you know, I just want to start, you know, doing things like speaking out and through art or through, you know, my studies and whatever. I mean, he just wanted to basically be a normal active person, a normal vocal person. And he yeah. was afraid to do that because his family saying, no, no, don't do that. We're Afghani. It's not good for Afghanis right now. Hmm. And wow. that's, 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 and all he was asking for is not, you know, he doesn't want to get up on, you know, any soapbox and, you know, start rallying people. He just wants to do, just be a normal, active American citizen. And he's afraid to do so. That's so um, sad. Yeah. That's very really sad. And to, to think how widespread this is and to think that there's a whole generation of American Muslims who grew up in this post-911 world who had their formative years suffering from these sorts of abuses. And to think that that's, that's all they know and that's, that's their mental framework it, is that they need to be silent in, in order to survive. That's very sad. And it, I think it's... It contradicts everything that you know our country was founded on. Um, uh, we're talking with Amina Mirza Kazi, uh, staff attorney of CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, is subversity on KUCI. Um, I just wanted to ask you also. You mentioned the FBI statement, and they said they had some issues with CARE. What do you think those issues are? You know, again, they haven't official, officially. Um, said anything or given us specific reasons. Um, 
what I'm guessing they're alluding to is, you know, I think they're alluding to one is the UCC designation, the unindicted co-conspirator designation, which, again, it was just, you know, being, being, um, being called or, or made into an unindicted co-conspirator conspirator on any legal case. And this, in this case, it was with the um, Holy Land Foundation charity. It has no legal meaning whatsoever. It's basically saying they think you're involved, but they don't have enough evidence to indict you on, on anything. Um, that case was, uh, they were accusing the, the Holy um, Charity, Holy Land yeah. Charity of, uh, of supporting, giving money to terrorists, so-called terrorists. Right, of giving money to, to um, Hamas, Hamas in, yeah. in Palestine. Um, and I, I think the, the, they were found guilty in November of October of, of what, from what I've seen in the court document or from, you know, from press releases that apparently they funneled money to, um, the, to social charities in that region right. um, that were conducted by Hamas and that the government made the argument that because they, were, because they did that, they had the intent of freeing up money, other money for Hamas to, you know, engage in terrorist activities, whatever it was. But anyways, over 300 Muslim organizations and individuals were listed as unindicted co-conspirators. 300, wow. 300. Yeah, Yeah, it's absurd because Hamas does a lot of charity work in the the territories there, and so it's, you know, it does social work, you know, over there. So why why criminalize that? Well, I mean, if if it's... you know, if it's an offense, it's it's an offense. If it's if it's um, you know, if it was unlawful for them to do that, and if the the court did find them guilty of, of supporting terrorism, I mean, there's not much we we can say about that. I mean, I haven't seen all the evidence and stuff, but I think it. it but in general, these whole unindicted co-conspirator issue it, it was it's really a political issue more than anything and, and it's quite mm. ridiculous over 300 some of the largest muslim organizations and individuals most popular in this country including care um so we feel that because maybe because of this this issue and you know to be honest if it, it was a political move if it was a, a smear campaign it's working um, if, if FBI, you know, paid attention to those who were, who who are smearing um, care, such as Steve Emerson and others, you know, they're doing their job because apparently FBI listened to them enough to cut off ties with care. Um, he's a he's a journalist, right? Or a writer? He's a, a supposedly a, a political commentarian um, who specializes in Islam and Islamic radicalization and. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But um, hmm. you know, it, it's his concerted effort to to delegitimize any legitimate um, um, Muslim organization in this country. Oh, yeah. And so you know, and they also cite some issues at our you know national level. And to be honest, I don't know what those are. They're not sharing it with us. We, can, you know, the best we can do is point to what's been said about us by Emerson and other people. Um, but again, wh- why would FBI need to make such political moves? It, it's, it's an intelligence gathering and law enforcement organization. And to know that that it, it acts and deals politically, that there's some political motivation in how it 
conducts its work. It's it's actually quite frightening. If it was a political decision, would you wouldn't you think with the new administration that it would shift the you know they wouldn't do this uh, right. given the, Obama you know grew up in right. Indonesia and all that. And you know Obama has and stated that he is looking for you know a, a new relationship with the Muslim world of com, uh, based on common respect and common interests. And you know obviously I hope that includes American Muslims. You know the here in this country. And, you know, Eric Holder, the new attorney general, has also stated how important maintaining civil rights are for him and that he, he, will, not, he will not suffer an organization that has, you know, political motivations um, or, or caters towards um, dirty political campaigns and interests. So, you know, we have faith in the new administration, um, but honestly, you know, change can't come soon enough. And that's yeah. why we are, we, we are, have, you know, as soon as this informant case came out, we sent a letter to Eric Holder. Our national office has sent a letter to him as well, and we're following up. And we're really hoping that we do, um, are able to resolve this issue with him and just affect the whole direction Department of Justice has towards the Muslim community. I mean, there's, there's the FBI issues, there's the Fusion Center and Joint Terrorism Task Force issues. Um, in Dallas, um, a few weeks ago, there is um, the Fusion Center there published a prevention awareness bulletin. It's like a monthly or every other month bulletin um, in which it, it stated or described the risk of Islamicalization in the United States and how mosques and Muslims um, need to be monitored because of this threat. I mean, this is, and this, this is a reality that we're dealing with. And I think it's it's a whole culture. I don't know if it's deliberate policy, but it's at least a culture within the FBI and law enforcement that trickles down to the individual agent level. So, if they need to rectify it by adjusting policy to prevent racial profiling and religious profiling and monitoring, if they need to include um, better training or better oversight, or better better redress mechanisms as well. Um, you know, those are all things that we're hoping the new administration really addresses. Do you think recruiting more uh, Muslims to work for them would, would help or not? <laughs> I, th- I think it would. Um, and, you know, because we encourage, you know, Muslim community members to join you know, every law, law enforcement and government agency to join TSA and and um, CBP and CIS and FBI and local law enforcement because the more people come into contact and the more these agents and officers deal, deal on a daily basis with other Muslims, um, the more they are likely to, to see that, you know, in, Muslims are, are individuals who are not naturally suspect. Um, so, of course, we even in, in these informant cases, you know, while we tell people, you know, being an informant or agent provocateur isn't exactly the most noble job, but, you know, if your approach to, to become an FBI agent, if your approach to, you know, go through the training and, uh, you know, work with FBI and, and, you know, get your badge, you know, that's an honorable position, um, you know, and it's, it's a competitive position as well. So, of course you know, go, go work for them. Um, but as with every pro- um, profession, it needs to do so in a way that is ethical and moral and that is contained within certain boundaries. 
you don't think they'll become tokenized if they're the only you know Muslim in the in the department? I mean, we we do see that it does happen, um, but to be honest, it happens in in every profession. That you know, when when a Muslim goes into that profession, and they're the only ones there, all of a sudden they're the voice for the entire Muslim community, <laughs> and then and then that that yeah. that employer or that agency, you know, holds them, them up, look, saying, "Look, we're a diverse organization. We employ a diverse group of peoples. Aren't aren't we? You know." Aren't we open-minded? And, um, you know, of, of course that's a problem, but, you know, being a minority group, as I'm sure you and others understand, that it almost comes with the day job of, of, of yeah. being that. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Do, do you think that the situation here is is more acute than in, say, Canada or Britain? I know there have been lots of uh, issues there in, right. in, these, in those two countries. I, you know, I think that... It's, I don't know if I would say it's more acute. I would say it's it's more it's it's a bit different. Um, you know, you know Canada and um, Britain, and this is just purely from an outsider's point of view. I'm in no way an expert of what goes on in Canada or Britain, but it seems to be much more of a problem of um, ideological differences and problems of assimilation within those countries. Um, and dealing with, you know, um, ethnic enclaves and, Im- you know, immigrant groups and reach- really reaching out to them. Um, and But in, in this country here, it seems, you know, our, the American Muslim community is very different than what you might find in any other country. I mean, we're, we're spread out. We're part and parcel of our, our society and of, you know, our, even especially at the local level. You know, we... We hold every occupation, we're every income group. Um, you know, we are the educators, we are the professionals, the doctors, the lawyers, we're the engineers, we're the day laborers, you know, you name it, we are We are there. Um, and, you know, studies have actually shown, there was a, a Pew Foundation study, um, very massive survey that came out a few years ago that showed that the Muslim American population is, for the most part, it's middle class, it's, it's moderate and it is American like we you know we have no I other or identifying factor it's very assimilated and and very I would use the word integrated um, Integrated, yeah yeah because we we have you know our own places of worship we have our own cultural values and even within the Muslim community to be honest there's so many different cultures <clears throat> we're really a community that you know possesses people from every part of the world, like every country. You you name it, people come from that country, from from Africa, from South America, from Europe, the Middle East, South Asia, Southeast Asia, the islands, um, and even indigenous Muslims. Is a, you know, African Americans are about one-third of the, mus- the Muslim population here in America. Wow. Um, huh. And, and oh, even... Yeah, yeah. You know, white Americans, Hispanic Americans, you know, are Muslims as well. And how many, um, how, how, what's the percentage among the Arab community in the U.S.? The Arab, the Arab community is, I believe, a little bit less than third, than a third. I think the largest group is, is South, South Asian, meaning, you know, Indian and Pakistani, um, and I believe Bangladeshi as well. Um, 
the next largest group, I believe, is the indigenous African-American population. I believe the third largest group is Arab-American. And interestingly, within the Arab-American population in general, the overall Arab-American population, most Arab-Americans are actually Christian and aren't of the Muslim faith as well. Right, for sure, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, people kind of don't realize that. <laughs> right, exactly. And it just goes to show you that, you know, our community, we're very, we're very ethnically, we're very, we're a very diverse community. You have people, you know, who are very conservative. You have people who are very politically liberal. Um, but for the most part, there are things that, you know, everyone in our community, you know, goes by, and that's the basic tenets of Islam. And, you know, the, the basic ethos of our religion, which is, you know, to work for the betterment of society. We're a very... We're very um, socially engaged. We're we're very um, much in tune with um, social justice movements. We're very um, much in tune with peace movements um, and anti-war movements because these are things that you know come from our religion and our character. And um, how does it, uh, how does KSC itself as would it call itself a liberal organization? Um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think that. I don't know where along the political spectrum we fall. Um, I think we're a, more a moderate organization, but, you know, because we're not, you know, because we are a 501c3 nonprofit, you know, we're not as, you know, active on, you know, you know political issues than we are are on, you know, issues that, you know, and when I say political issues, I mean issues of, you know, candidacy and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, or Elect electoral politics. Exactly, yeah. electoral politics. But, you know, we are a civil rights organization, so we do try to affect political and public policy when it when it affects, you know, civil rights. And um, How would you deal with a case if there was a gay Muslim that wanted uh, your, your help? Yeah, we, we don't discriminate, <laughs> you know, to, I mean, we don't, you know, somebody's own preferences, private preferences are really their business, um, and, you know, we we offer our services to, to every Muslim, you know, that, that comes through our doors. Uh, you know, we may be able to help them, we may, we, we may not be, but, but that's generally how we approach the community. Do you have? Do, is it? Uh, do do you do you refer? Do you re prefer people go to you directly rather than the ACLU? Or? Um, you know, we work very well with the ACLU. We work in tangent with them on many, many, many cases. Um, it, it, you know, I think either both of our organizations have certain specialties. Though, um, I think our organization is particularly good on resolving issues that maybe don't amount to the litigation level. For example, you know, run-of-the-mill employment discrimination or public accommodation discrimination, we're very good on that. And even some, some of a lot of the larger issues, you know, I would really encourage people to come to us because a lot of these cases, individual cases, are not as strong by themselves, but when you congregate them with all other similar cases, they, you know, you can show a trend and you can show that this is a systemic problem with whatever government agency it might be. 
Um, and that's why we really um, encourage reporting to our organization, et cetera. And, you know, that's, that was the fortunate case of um, this recent Irvine incident when Miyazi um, actually visited our office. First he, first he contacted our office when he was, you know, heard this person advocating extremist um, sympathies and didn't know what to do. And, of course, I mean, he did want to... Um, report it to law enforcement, of course, and, you know, he, I think, I'm not sure, but he might have already done that or been on that track, but he also reported to us when he was asked to become an informant, and we, we have that documented, um, what, what the FBI agent said to him, and a few months later, when FBI, um, agent, the agents came with a search warrant and basically raided his home, and the FBI agent said, Look, I told you so. Now you get it, um, because he had he had apparently told Niazi that if you don't become an informant, I'll make your life a living hell. Mm. You know, he came to our office and reported that, and so now, you know, even though this is all what he alleg- allegedly, um, what he reported, and these are all allegations, but you know, we're able to present to the media the complete um, picture of what could potentially be going on here. And, and that's why it's really important for, for people to to report instances to us. So, and so we have a, a you know a better idea of what is going on in the community because we're not an organization that likes to or that does fabricate issues or community concerns. Yes. We are we yeah. are a grassroots organization and respond to the needs of the community. Is it a membership organization? Yeah, we are a membership-based organization, um, but you know, you, you, we don't work only on behalf of the members. So anyone can come to our office, and um, you know, we will we will service them in whatever way we can. But we we are we are a um, membership-based organization. We do rely almost entirely on the contributions of our of the community. Um, so if I can plug in here, the you know, uh, go ahead and you donate. Have a, you have a, yeah, we can't really solicit, but the, I can, we can say where the, they can get more information, your yeah, website. You can, you can get more information on our website, um, www.care, that's C-A-I-R.com. And you can, you know, there's, we have over 35 chapters in the U.S. and Canada. We, we are the CARE um, Greater Los Angeles Area Chapter. Um, includes Orange County. It includes Orange County, right? And we're actually located in Orange County as well. Yeah. Um, physically located in Orange County. Yeah. Anaheim, Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Exactly in Anaheim. Yeah. Do you do you have to be Muslim to join? No, we we, um, you know, you can anyone can join, and you will get our um, community updates, our community newsletters. Um, and announcements, we send out action alerts, you know, when there's a particular activity we want people to engage in or a particular issue we hope people will contact their Congress people about. Um, and, you know, we have our annual banquet, which attracts about 2,000 people, so, you know, you'll always get news about that as well. Um, we are, though, you know, we do specialize in servicing, you know, the Muslim American community um but you know at the same time we we work in conjunction with a wide variety of commu- other community groups whether it be you know labor and employment and union groups or interface groups 
or um, groups from other ethnicities. Um, you know, we work across the spectrum um, with different groups to address all the kind of interrelated social causes out there. Um, but within our organization, you know, we do work, you know, almost exclusively for the, you know, civil rights and of Muslim Americans and to present, uh, you know, the better image, public image of the Muslim American community and to counteract Islamic phobia and um, stereotypes about Muslims. Do you, do you see there's a, a danger of that people who sign up as members will get surveilled by the FBI? No, I don't. <laughs> you know, I... You know, despite all that's going on, I mean, they, you know, FBI does have its own limited fund, own limited resources, and so, so I don't think people will do that'll happen. Um, but you know, if it if it does, <laughs> then that's what we're here for. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> because I was thinking in the in the uh, Vietnam War period, they used to try to steal mailing lists and. Like if right. you've got um, radical newspapers at your home and maybe the postman will, postal, uh, postal whatever delivery person might right. report, report you or they might get a list of, from somewhere else and try to start a file on people. Even I heard even students that requested materials right. from the and Soviet you know, we embassy, actually, for instance. Yeah. Right. We actually have seen that, especially with local mosques and certain groups that, you know, once one person comes under investigation or something within that group, uh, or maybe for whatever reason they, that group becomes of interest to the FBI, then they'll start going down the donor list. They'll ask people how much they donate, how much they contribute, how much they attend, and stuff to, to kind of um, frighten people and discourage them and intimidate them from, from going and attending. Um, but, you know... You know, the entire organization, FBI and law enforcement, it's not tainted. I don't want people to get that impression that we're at war against FBI. <laughs> I mean, but, but it does have its issues. And, you know, it, it, to be an effective law enforcement and intelligence gathering agency, it needs to address these issues. You know, it, it services the, all Americans, including the Muslim American community. It, its function is to protect us and to work for us. And, um, you know, that's what we're really, you know, interested in, in, in getting. And we know that there are a lot of people within that organization who have the power to address these issues and to make it a, a more effective, a more efficient, and a more ethical institution. How, how did you decide to go into, um, you know, civil liberties uh, law? Um, I mean, a lot of people going to law school to make money, I guess. Yeah. Well, that, that would be nice, too. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I've, it's always been a, a part of – it's always had a place in my heart working for, you know, the protection of things that I hold dear to me, which are, you know, our constitutional freedoms. And, you know, working on behalf of those who, who have felt silenced and who, who might not have as strong of a voice. You know, I myself come up from a multicultural background, um, and um, what, you do you, know, what do you mean? My my father is uh, South Asian from Pakistan, and my mom is, you know, white. She's a white American converted to Islam many many years ago. Uh. So I was always raised um, with this very inclusive attitude towards towards everyone. But at the same time, I was also raised that you know this is this is my country and. You know, I'm, I've never felt that I've been asking for anything that has not always been mine to begin with. Right. Um, and and I, 
Yeah. And which law school did you go to? I went to Wayne State University ah, Detroit. in Detroit, yeah. Michigan. Yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. yeah it was a very diverse school. A very school that was very um, also into social causes and stuff. Right. So right. Right. That was yeah. very good for me. That's great. Well, we're actually coming into the end of our time, and and so thank you very much. I no, mean, uh, no, uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, it's well, a wonderful great. program. We'll keep in touch. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank bye you. Bye bye. Uh, that was uh, Amina Mirza Kazi, a staff attorney for CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations. We, we've been talking about surveillance of Muslims in the Orange County and beyond. This is Dan Sung signing off for Subversity here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show were not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California nor the management of KUCI. This is Dan Zhang signing off.